Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. This is Steve King. I'm the managing director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to explore the ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline and the current state of cybersecurity as it relates to both critical infrastructure and our ability to detect and prevent attacks like this one. Joining me today is Tom Kellerman, the head of cybersecurity strategy for VMware. Prior to this role, Tom was the chief cybersecurity officer for Carbon Black. He serves as the Wilson Center's global fellow for cybersecurity policy, and he sits on the technology executive council for CNBC. Tom previously held positions of CEO and founder of Strategic Cyber Ventures, was chief security officer for Trend Micro, was the vice president of security for Core Security, and deputy CISO for the World Bank Treasury. In 2008, Tom was appointed a commissioner on the Commission on Cybersecurity for the 44th President of the United States. And in 2003, he co-authored a book called Electronic Safety and Soundness, Securing Finance in a New Age. In addition, Tom taught a course on cybercrime for about eight years as an adjunct professor at American University School of International Service in the Kogut School of Business, where he also earned his master's degree in international politics. Welcome, Tom, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, Tom, Colonial Pipeline shut its entire network over the weekend, and I guess Friday. The, that's the source of nearly half of the U.S. East Coast's fuel supply. And it was a ransomware attack on Friday. What, what's your opinion on the vulnerability of the U.S. energy infrastructure today? Yeah, the energy sector is highly vulnerable to cyber attacks in, in many regards, you know, because of the blackout of 2003 on the East Coast, the energy sector was quick to adopt technologies to maintain resiliency without fully comprehending that business continuity and the effort to maintain business continuity actually exacerbates the cyber attack surface. And so as illustrated by this attack, we're dealing with day four now of this crippling blow to essentially the jugular of the U.S. economy. And it is beyond me right now that we allow nation states to harbor cyber crime cartels who leverage these types of destructive attacks against our critical infrastructures. (laughs) You and me both. And then, of course, we know this is a nation state attack. There are many incentives for various countries to have arranged this attack and, and all the others that we've seen in the last 90 days. Which one do you think is behind this and why? Well, let's be very clear. Que bene, the Latin term for who benefits. This is a Russian attack as a direct response for economic sanctions. And they're using a proxy to carry out revenge for the recent economic sanctions that were imposed upon them. And this proxy, the dark side group, which really came onto the map last August when they issued a press release. What's notable about the attack code that they've leveraged in this regard is that it will not detonate It will not activate on a Cyrillic or Russian keyboard. So until the U.S. government is willing to force all American companies to use Russian keyboards, we're going to continue to deal with these types of threats. Right. So the statement from the Department of Energy says it's monitoring potential impacts to the nation's energy supply, while both the U.S. CISA and the TSA say they're working on the problem. (laughs) In your mind, Tom, who should be working on this and what what should they be doing? 
Well, look, you know, the FBI and CISA are going to do a good job of eliminating the footprint and, and exterminating the ransomware within this infrastructure. But we're going to continue to see these types of attacks. Now, these types of groups do tremendous reconnaissance on targets. They customize the ransomware specific to the environments they hit. Uh, so they're creating tailor-made, you know, custom munitions to target that infrastructure. And this benefits the Russians in many regards. Not only does it cripple and hurt, you know, the lifeline for energy up and down the East Coast, but it also increases oil prices globally, which directly benefits their economy. Exactly. <laughs> so we've reversed our uh, our position on uh, energy independence here, whether in the last hundred days or so, you know, and politically, whether you like it or not, we're now in a much more difficult position. And it's not surprising then that Russia, who is the largest natural gas exporter in the world, would want to be able to be more aggressive in these markets with higher margins, right? And so the supplies uh, are now diminished. And so what the Biden administration needs to understand here is that economic sanctions alone will not deter this type of aggression for a number of reasons. Number one, most ransomware, most of it, is developed by Russian-speaking threat actors who are part of cybercrime cartels that are beholden to Putin and the regime. And they exist because of the fact that there's they abide by the three rules. You never target anything within the sovereign boundaries of Russia, which is why most ransomware won't detonate on, on Russian keyboards, Cyrillic keyboards. If you find something of interest or you gain access to something of interest, you will share that access with the FSB and the SVR. And then most importantly, when called upon to be patriotic, and to go after the foes of Mother Russia, you will do so against the select target lists that are chosen for you by the intelligence services. In exchange, you maintain untouchable status. And this is a perfect example because economic sanctions are being offset by cybercrime. The majority of proceeds of cybercrime actually go back to the former Soviet bloc. They go back to Eastern Europe. And the majority of ransomware was coded and developed by Russian cybercrime cartels. And then in addition to that, this type of attack obviously demonstrates that they can force function a shift in the market and the value of energy globally by leveraging attacks against critical infrastructure. Exactly. If these sanctions are as essentially useless as you've just described, and I agree with you, what's our alternative? Well, we need we need to create a norm of international deterrence, deterrence that dictates that if you're harboring cybercrime cartels that are leveraging attacks against critical infrastructures, whether they be hospitals or the energy sector, etc., that you will deal with shared risk, and there should be a proportionate cyber response by the NSA Cyber Command immediately. In addition to that, if you really want to go after it, put pressure on the money that is laundered uh, through the oligarchs via the cybercrime cartels, et cetera, you need to put pressure on the alternative payment channels and virtual currencies that are being used to launder the proceeds of cybercrime. Whether they are complicit or not, there are bad actors, whether they're exchanges throughout Eastern Europe uh, and the Caribbean, or whether they be virtual currencies like Monero that in large part are associated with cybercrime and the movement of money via cybercrime. Yeah, and I think that it, won't any actions like those require congressional approval? I don't understand why uh, proportionate shared risk and the NSA leveraging a proportionate attack against the infrastructure of the cybercrime cartels requires congressional approval. I just think that it's about a modernization of authorities. I think the challenge has been for the Defense Department is that when they leverage offensive action, they leverage it against state actors 
or non-state actors that are associated with terrorism. And yet there's this gray area of these proxies who are cyber criminals that also act as cyber militia members. They add value and firepower to groups like APT29, like Turla, et cetera, et cetera. And these proxies need to be brought to bear. And so I'm not sure why, you know, the NSA's capabilities have not been brought to bear against these cybercrime cartels at a minimum. Yeah, neither am I. You can look at this attack in a couple of ways, right? One of it's obviously aimed at what we've discussed. Uh, but what happens as well is there's a, it creates a, a societal response, if you will, of sort of fear and uncertainty and confusion about whether or not, you know, we've got leadership in place that can deal with this sort of thing. But, you know, gas prices are already up a buck over last summer. You know, it's, if this goes on for another couple of weeks, we're going to see gas prices increasing beyond that. And then, you know, maybe returning to the 1970s, uh, you know, waiting in line to get gas uh, when there's none available, at least on the East Coast. How much of this current attack do you think was is targeted at disruption and um, division, or is that just a byproduct? No, I do think the purpose of this attack is primarily to disrupt the U.S. economy as payback for the economic sanctions that were leveraged against Russia recently as a response to solar winds, ironically. And that's the great irony. Yeah, indeed. And it was the Russians that, that were behind solar winds too, right? Exactly. And frankly, if you look at cybercrime globally, uh, yes, the Chinese steal intellectual property, but when you look at traditional cybercrime or this ransomware as a service phenomenon or some of the most regrettable uh, facets of the dark web economy, the, it all it is all organized and it is all protected by nation states and typically nation states that, that used to be a part of uh, the Soviet bloc. Yeah. And if we attack those proxy groups, isn't that uh, very close to a declaration of war? You know, I would look at it again, just like terrorism. If you're harboring terrorists and the people are launching attacks from your sovereign boundaries, whether or not you are blessing those attacks or insulating those groups from retribution, there needs to be shared risk. And so I feel that the the Western world now, who's been suffering significant systemic attacks on the hands of these threat actor groups that uh, have a protection racket, and a pox mafioso with the Russian regime needs to draw a line in the sand here. If you're going to target healthcare, if you're going to target energy, if you're going to target transportation, you will see a reaction, a proportionate reaction of cyber offense against the infrastructures associated with those attacks. So if we do nothing about this, when is the electrical grid up for the next attack? You know, the nice thing about the U.S. energy sector and the electrical grid is, you know, it's not one grid. But I do think that as the administration and Congress are negotiating this very week to modernize American infrastructure, that a a huge component of that modernization requires vigilant digital transformation. What I mean by that is, yes, they're going to migrate to new technologies to create greater efficiencies, to improve the infrastructure of the U.S., but cybersecurity must be built in. It must not be viewed as an afterthought. The sustainability of that infrastructure investment will be based upon the effectiveness of the cybersecurity strategy. Yeah, sure. If you're colonial, what do you do now? Do you pay the ransom and just sort of? No, you don't pay the ransom. And people should never pay the ransom. That's why this, this group in particular leverages double and triple extortion campaigns. 
no, you should never pay the ransom. Look, the reality is, is they're going to have to go. They're, they're essentially going to have to go back and re-image all these machines that have been impacted, start from the beginning, and then reconnect them to the system and ensure that they have, you know, endpoint detection response capabilities across the infrastructure now that can give them the telemetry to assure that there isn't a secondary backdoor. And, and I know that, you know, FireEye's in there and they're going to do a great job on this. The FBI is in there and CIS is in there, but that doesn't mean this is, you know, an isolated event. And it doesn't mean that other parts of the sector won't be targeted with secondary and other waves of these types of attacks. Because as we see, geopolitical tension is manifesting in cyberspace and the Russians for, for decades love the construct of using proxies to go after the U.S. and U.S. interests. Whether it was in Central America in the 80s or whether it's in cyberspace now, the utility of proxies to become their Rottweilers is profound. And I would stress one last thing, you know, to my earlier point about most ransomware being developed by Russian cybercrime cartels, it's true. But what's interesting is, you know, ransomware has pretty much become the Kalishnikov of 2021. And it's being more and more widely distributed. They have affiliate programs where they give you a percentage of the cut if you leverage attacks with their capability sets. And then, of course, they have the capacity to use the rootkits that are automatically provisioned in these ransomware modules to access any system that's been hit with the ransomware that they lease and or sell as a service to someone else. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's been so amazingly commercialized. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's almost as if they take out ads, they have, you know, regular programming, <laughs> you know, anything you need, they've got it and you can get it easily. You know, and I guess that happens when you continue to turn away from the reality of this group, this group if I may this group last August put out a put out a freaking press release about <laughs> their service offering this is insane it is insane indeed so unlike solar winds where you know I agree with you I, I think you need to rebuild your networks you know uh, but uh, but there's no kinetic impact of the solar winds attack whereas there's very much so a physical you know, cyber physical, if you will, impact to this one. And we have no idea whether the OT is infected either. And I, you continue to read about people who, you know, well, we're upstream, but we pulled our, pulled everything off our network once we heard about the attack. Once you heard about the attacks, it's like a little late for pulling things off your network. So, you know, yeah, going back and rebuilding all of that. But do you, what is your take on on how extensive uh, either upstream or downstream infections are from this thing? Well, it's not just a question of this thing. You know, it's notable that CISA put out an urgent uh, directive for best practices to protect the sector as a whole in February. They must have been getting telemetry that this was coming or ongoing, not just specific to this group, but that long-term campaigns of attack against the sector as a whole were beginning or had begun, or they wouldn't have issued that directive. It's also notable that, you know, Anne Nuremberg stated that she was very concerned about destructive attacks being the third phase of solar winds. And that probably provoked the judge to authorize the FBI's unique activities to go in and, and destroy the shells and the back doors placed in systems by the Russians. So from our own data here at VMware, we're seeing 118% of just increase of destructive attacks since last year. And the thing is, there's no reporting requirements for the advent of a destructive attack. Typically, all reporting requirements associated with cybercrime are really focused on the theft of non-encrypted data, right? This is a huge problem. 
I'm very concerned that this will be the year that a major public cloud provider infrastructure is used to systemically distribute destructive payloads against U.S. corporations as a manifestation of geopolitical tension. <laughs> That's encouraging. I mean, look, again, I, the administration has some of the very best cyber leaders in great positions. I have complete faith in the capacity of those folks to know what needs to be done. However, there is this reticence. There is this reticence to create shared risk. There is this reticence because of our dependence on technology. But that is not inhibiting or deterring our adversaries, particularly our Cold War adversaries, from acting out in this space. So until we begin to create proportionate responses and shared risk to these adversaries, specifically these proxies and cyber militia groups who are protected by these regimes, we will not see peace in cyberspace. Yeah, and you and I and many others in our community share that view. The question, and for many of our listeners who are not you know, cybersecurity savvy, the question is when and how are we going to take that step, you know, to either federalize the, the grid or and both in energy and electricity or and or enacting upon what we know in terms of offensive cybersecurity. I'm hoping this is the tipping point. I really am. And, you know, private corporations don't have the authority, power or wherewithal to go toe to toe with this phenomenon. It's time to, for Cyber Command to take the gloves off and leverage a proportionate response. It's time that we follow the lead of countries and, and law enforcement agencies like the Dutch with, with the takedown of Emotet, right? Or the Ukrainians or Estonians who actively hack into dark web forums and disrupt them. That is effective. That is the only way in which they've survived the onslaught of cyber attacks behind the Iron Curtain. So look, we have to respect that there's a Silicon Valley of the East it's in St. Petersburg, Russia, and it exists to offset economic sanctions and to be used as a proxy and cyber militia by the regime against the West. Yeah, I guess, again, you know, it, it, it didn't it took the Dutch a while to do that, too. And there was a lot of international cooperation and negotiation and yada, yada while they were doing all of that as well. And so, you know, if we think that and I think that there's an imminent threat as a follow-on to the one we just saw, there's no time to do that sort of thing. So I, I, I wish I had a practical solution that this administration could implement. And I agree with you, we have fabulous uh, cybersecurity talent now in the federal government. Do you think this administration has the political courage to do what needs to be done here? I hope so. And I I'd like to point your listeners and the audience here to something that really didn't make the front pages of the press last fall, which should have, it really should have, you know, we, we were dealing, we're still dealing, we were dealing with a pandemic. Uh, hospitals were overwhelmed. We had just TrickBot, right. Had just been taken down successfully through joint action by the government and, and Microsoft to inhibit the capacity of the Russians to influence the, the election. Yeah. We all know about that. But in direct response to the TrickBot takedown by the same threat actors, Ryuk ransomware attacks were leveraged against all major U.S. hospitals. That should have been a red line. Well, I hope we, <laughs> I hope we can find a way to put an actual red line down and, and, and move forward here. 
but of course, you know, you and I agreeing is not going to change. <laughs> it's probably not going to change anything. So um, no, but I, just, I think I think no, I think look uh, real quick. The court authorization of the FBI to go into private corporations and to eliminate the presence of the Russian footprint, that was a precedent setting. And there's no reason why you may not see the same type of reaction to the infrastructure associated with Darkseid by the NSA and FBI. It makes sense. I'm conscious of the clock, Tom. I know you've got an insane schedule. And I and so I, I think I want to call it at this point, but I think that was a great conversation and raised issues that need to be raised. So I want to thank our guest, Tom Kellerman, for taking time out of his schedule to join me in what I hope was an intriguing exchange. So thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in another episode of Cyber Theory's exploration into the complex world of cybersecurity technology and, and global realities. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.